Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church in Chicago. My name is Pastor Joel Hess, and uh, what a joy it is to preach the good news to you. May God bless your ears and heart that you have the hope and peace that we have in Jesus Christ, and that the Lord changes your view of the world, that you see things as He does with the love of His Son, Jesus. If you want to support His mission here at St. James through Chicago, go to stjames-lutheran.org and donate. Thank you for listening. What do you think I see? Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Should have done this with the kids. Might have scared them, though, this wonderful kind of cool story. Uh, I don't know if it's Greek or Roman, but uh, probably Greek, uh, about a fellow named Narcissus. Anybody know who Narcissus is? You meet him every day, by the way, <laughs> or we got, we got somebody back there. Narcissus was a son of the river god. Um, we can go down to Greek mythology, but anyhow, he was basically told by a seer, or his parents were told, his mom was told by a seer, that if you let him see himself, he'll never grow up to be a demigod, a full person. He will die. And so his parents kept Mirrors away, of course, but any sort of metal object so he doesn't, by chance, see himself and die. Unfortunately, one day, he's down by the river uh, getting a drink, dipping his hand in. He sees what? Reflection of himself in the mirror, and he falls in love and tries to grab himself and, of course, falls into the river and Dies. You know what a narcissus is, 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 is in our world? You see anybody staring at the reflection in the 21st century America? I think we see it all the time, don't we? More than ever, maybe, you know? I know people constantly said that Donald Trump was narcissistic, but my friends, he didn't invent it. It's everywhere, worse than ever. One might say, but I think we might find out, maybe it's not any worse. People just thinking about themselves, right? We do it in so many different ways. What's our mirror today? Well, I mean, literally, we can stare at the mirror, and if we don't like how we look, what can we do to make ourselves look better? But we want to look better in front of other people, in front of the world, in front of our colleagues or whatever, thinking about how we look. I think social media is literally a river that we just do to see people post likes on it and it makes ourselves feel good. We put on this fake image of who we are, whatever that, you know what I mean? We do this, don't we? Or we buy things. Or uh, I just read a statistic recently, plastic surgery has gone way up just in the last 10 years trying to make ourselves look better and trying to claim some sense of inner peace by what people think of us or how we look or superficial things or whatever. Number, we think of ourselves as number one, and we pursue things to go up that ladder to serve ourselves, don't we? I think more than ever. And what's really funny, we can make even things like virtue signaling. So even the sense of morality or righteousness, we can post on social media, just always stuff to make us look righteous, and other people are terrible. Look at me. I'm not this. I'm not that. 
But in the end, it's all about us. Even our good deeds can be things that we do to serve us. If this is good news, it's nothing new. It's not 21st century America. It's not capitalism. It's not consumerism. This is people. Before Narcissus, there was Eve who took the fruit because she saw a reflection in it that made her look like she was going to be God. That's how we think. This is our instinct. Our instinct, human beings' instinct is bad. It's inward. It looks for applause. We even see this today with Jesus' disciples, who he had been instructing and hanging out with for like two or three years. Look at this episode here, chapter 10. They were on the road, Mark says, going up to Jerusalem. And this is the final time they're going up to Jerusalem, I would say, probably knowing the Passover is about to happen. They're going there, uh, and people kind of know that something's up. There's been some tension between the leaders of Israel and Jesus, some criticism. Uh, and uh, he's going up, and Mark says Jesus is walking ahead of them because that's what leaders do. Not aloof, not apart, but he's going to do it first before they have to, one might say, pave the way, be the Marines, storm the beach first so it's safe for us, however you want to think of it. Christ is ahead. And they were afraid, Mark says. Notice that. Go ahead and read it along with me. They were amazed. Something's up and he's going forward. Something great is about to happen is what they are assuming They're with this heroic miracle worker, and he's going to the capital city of Israel, of Judaism, of all religion, of the world for the Jew, of the universe. And uh, Jesus notices he takes the 12. So all the disciples, a large group is going to Jerusalem. He takes the 12 who are his chosen leaders, and, uh, which is kind of comforting because if you know the 12, they ain't so bright. We're going to see that in a second. And yet Jesus chooses them to be leaders because you don't have to be a genius because Jesus can take care of everything. You just do what he tells you to do. And so he takes the 12. He begins to tell them about what's going to happen to him. He says this, look. Let me get you ready. He's been saying this all along, by the way. It's not the first time he said this. He says, look, we're going to go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, which is him, it's a word for Messiah, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. That seems weird. And they're going to condemn him to death. Okay, that's, that sounds stupid. That's not a plan that I would expect from the Messiah to do, not just because where is that in the Old Testament that, he's gonna, that the hero who's going to come and save us is going to die. Second, the authorities, the people that know the Bible, they know scriptures, they're going to condemn the Son of Man to death. But it gets worse, Jesus says. They're going to hand him over to The Gentiles, the enemies of Israel, the foreign invaders, the occupying force, the pagans living in darkness, people, uh, Julius Caesar, and all these people, they don't even know who God is. 
The son of man is just going to be delivered up to them. He's going to be rejected by Israel. And now he's going to be rejected by the whole rest of the world. And what are they going to do, Jesus says? (laughs) They're going to mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. After three days, he will rise. This blew their minds. If they were listening, I don't know if they're listening. Because what happens next? After they hear about what's going to happen to Jesus, how he's going to suffer, how he's going to be in pain, how he's going to be rejected, what happens next? Who are they thinking about? Oh, Jesus, how can I help you, right? What can I do for you? Can I pray for you? Is there something I can do? I'll fight with you, Jesus, right? Well, what do they say? James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus after hearing this and say, they don't say son of man, they don't say son of God or Messiah, oh Lord, they say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Does this seem like a bizarre response? (laughs) After hearing how Christ is going to suffer, they're only thinking about themselves because they can't even help it. Like you can't even help it. We turn everything around to ourselves. And I love this phrase. Teacher, we want you to do whatever we want. This is such a phrase of humanity to God. We want to invent God. We want to tell God what to do. We want to give words for him to speak. We want to remove stuff we don't like about God in the scriptures. We want to put stuff in that we do like. We want God to be a puppet. We want him to do whatever we want. And it's not just, please cure this. There's something to that. There's nothing wrong with praying about that. But it's anything. I want you to do what I want. Because in the end, who wants to be God? They want to be God. They want to be in charge. Their whole life, as they think about all this, they hear all that Jesus says, is still about, where's my position? Okay, where am I going to be in this, right? Can we be on your left and right? We we can't, you know, they probably thought they were being humble. We don't want to be, you know, we get it, Jesus, you're awesome, you're the greatest. But I'd like to be right next there. It looked pretty good, people think I'm pretty awesome, probably get some power. They're thinking of uh, Julius, they're thinking of the Caesars, they're thinking of Palatine Hill. And all the beautiful things that come with us, and having servants coming and going, and being legends, and go home and tell mom, hey, I'm on the right hand of the Messiah. There you go. Look at me, mom, or dad, or a girlfriend. I don't know who they're trying to impress. It's crazy, right? But that's what we do. We can look right at a situation and we can only think about how can we survive? What can we do? What can we get out of this? How does this make me look good? We take jobs. We take, we take, we do things with our families even that's all serving ourselves, even within our own family. And with social media, et cetera, it's just a big mirror to stare at ourselves, which is funny because there's more depression than ever. Because you either become self-righteous thinking you're awesome, or you start to loathe yourself. Either way, like Narcissus, you fall in love yourself, it's a joke, and you die. There's no hope there, it's just a moving river, it's just a mirror, it's just an image, chasing after your own tail. God have mercy on us. Jesus goes on. 
<laughs> he says, uh, you don't even know, or no, they, they say, um, you know, or no, I'm sorry. So they ask the teacher, do whatever we want you to do. He says to them, what do you want me to do? I love how Jesus plays along, by the way. And then he says, they say to him, grant us to sit one at your right and one at your left hand. Jesus says, you don't even know what you're talking about. You got no clue what that even means. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? What do you think he's talking about? The cross, his death. Are you able to do what I'm about to do? You want to hang out with me? You don't even know where I'm going, and you can't handle it. And they say, really quick, what do they say? Yeah, we're able to. <laughs> he responds this. You expect him to say, no, you're not. Forget it. I'm doing this alone. But what does he say? Look what he says. The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. I used to think that this meant that they too are going to die. And they do. Both of them do. Well, John is, John is exiled. The other one's killed. They're going to suffer, though. But I don't think it is. You see, Jesus is going to drink the cup meant for us, and he's going to be baptized in the baptism on the cross meant for us. And then he's going to give us now a freeing cup and a freeing baptism. He's going to turn it around, and they are going to drink the cup of him, the body and blood of Christ that you're going to drink here in a second. That's not of death, but of life that gives forgiveness because he took our cup of wrath. Is Jesus' cup they will drink. And they're going to be baptized in Jesus. And Paul says it himself, when you're baptized in Christ, don't you know you're baptized into his death? He took away the fangs of the baptism, the wrath of God and the death. And when you're baptized, you get a painless splash of water and grace and mercy. They don't even know what they're talking about. And then I love this. But to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not mine to grant, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. They're thinking glory, and they're thinking chariots, and everything's going to go great, and maybe they can sit next to Jesus on his thrones and eating grapes or whatever. But when does Jesus come into his glory? When is the glory, which means manifestation of something, when does that happen? The manifestation of God's identity and his power and his love happens when this Jesus is raised up high on the cross. And on both sides, there's two people on his left and his right. Who are they? Thieves, sinners, people that Christ is dying for. They have no idea what they're asking for. Christ is ahead, and Christ does it all by himself and gives us the fruits of that and forgiveness and eternal life because, as he says later, he came to serve and not be served. They have no idea. As they're thinking about themselves, as we think about ourselves, Christ is thinking and preparing and doing for us. 
And then when the other disciples found out that they're having this conversation about these two asking to be on his you know, right and left side, what do they do? They're indignant. They're really mad. Morally upset. This is outrageous. Yes. How selfish. But why are they indignant? Well, they wanted to ask that question. You guys can't be the right hand left man. It should be a vote or something, or we should do a, a long jump contest or something, or a miracle working sort of deal, right? That's why they're mad, because they all have the same idea in mind, because they're only thinking glory and about themselves and how they would look. Jesus grabs them, takes them to himself, and he says, uh, uh, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great, you want to be great, you want to be awesome, be a servant. And whoever would be first among you, be a, and he pulls up the lowest order of society. Next to kids, by the way. The lowest order in Roman or Jewish society is a slave to all, he says. That's the mentality of people in God's kingdom. It's the reverse of Eve, of Narcissus, of America, of you. And he's not talking about equality here. Notice this. Equality is great for a temporary government system. It's fantastic. It's good. I love it. I love our Constitution, etc. It doesn't belong in the church or in your general day-to-day mentality. A Christian doesn't seek equality. A Christian seeks to serve the other. A Christian desires not the same as the other, but desires the other to have more. A Christian doesn't see where his needs are equal to others, but sees how he can make somebody else's day better than his. Prays for the other obsesses over how are you doing, what can I do for you, not thinking of applause, not thinking of, again, you know, let's make sure we all have the same, but I want you to have a better life than mine. A Christian applauds when somebody else does really well that day and doesn't think about, well, you know what, my life wasn't as great. Why is my life not as good as this person? A Christian seeks to serve all and not just those you like or those that deserve your service, but the weakest and the most broken of us and the strangest of us and the most sinful of us. This is the behavior Jesus wants us to be in. It's hard to do that because we have to watch out for number one. That's the problem. That's what stops us from just giving ourselves to others and trying to make sure everybody else's life is better because, well, we got to watch for number one. we got to watch out for ourselves. But then Jesus says this, for even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The center of God, the center of Christianity is not people serving God. The whole point of life in this world is not you serving God or worshiping God. We revolve around a God who serves us, not just on the cross, as Jesus is a ransom. He pays the price to release us, but he continues to serve us. And because we know that he has served us, he has given us eternal life, he has forgiven us, and he provides for us, that empowers us to not care about ourselves, 
but truly care for other people. We don't need to be number one. We don't need to make sure we, someone's got our back. God has our back. We can be risky with forgiving, forgiving to others. We can be generous. We can let go of ourselves to serve and make other people's lives better because we have been provided by God. We see in the mirror a sinner, but Jesus shows us a saint, and it's going to be okay. That allows us to say yes to people, to serve others as he served us, and frees us from narcissism, which is a damning illness. Looking at yourself, thinking about yourself is not healthy. Following your passions and instincts is not actually a healthy way to live. It's a sick way to live. It's a sickness of human beings. May the Lord release you of that, as he already has in Jesus, but over time empower you to stop staring at the mirror thinking about yourself all the time and to think about others because that's actually the natural way we were made to live. In Jesus' name. There ain't no grave can hold my body down. There ain't no grave can hold my body down. When I hear that trumpet sound, I'm on a rise right out of the ground. Ain't no grave can hold my body down.